everybody. I am your co-host, Rach. And I'm your co-host, Rebecca. And today we have a guest with us, which is Steph. Hi. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> oh, good. And welcome to another episode of Ember Island Sayers. This week, we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 13, The Blue Spirit. When Sokka and Katara become ill due to their exposure to the previous storm, Aang sets out alone to find them a cure. On the way, he's captured by the Yuyan archers under the command of a recently promoted Admiral Zhao. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> it's always very dramatic. Rach, what did you learn in this episode? I haven't thought about this. <laughs> <laughs> what did I learn? I learned that I should think about what I learned <laughs> when I was watching this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I learned that Momo has a <laughs> tendency for hoarding and <laughs> we should probably not enable him in that habit. In, in that vein, I learned not to rely on Momo to get me water in a crisis. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I feel like Momo maybe could benefit from like a Marie Kondo to kind of teach him about how to get rid of things. This does not spark joy. Water sparks joy, Momo. Water sparks joy. That's what we learned today. I love that both of yours were related to Momo too. That's good. Obviously. What about you? What did you learn? (laughs) I learned that Appa has a really good sense of humour. I genuinely believe that that Sokka can understand Appa. I, I believe it. I believe that he, like, understands exactly what Momo and Appa are saying. And that just, like, when he's in his right mind, he's like, nah, that can't be right. New head cannon. <laughs> That's why only Katara is the one asking Momo for water, because if Sokka asked, then he'd understand. <laughs> and it would ruin the joke. It all makes sense now. All right, uh, should we do our Iroh's flip-flop of this episode? Yeah, let's find out what you think is going to come back. <laughs> So you told me that quite a few things come back, so let's see if I can find one of them at least. (laughs) My guess is the Plum Blossom. I don't actually think the Plum Blossom comes back. I do think plums come back in play, but not the Plum Blossom. Aww. That was my my only guess, unfortunately. I don't have a backup guess this time, so I guess I'll just find out what other things (laughs) come back in this episode. Yeah, as we go through, I'll let you know. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. (laughs) So just before we get started, uh, I wanted to uh, kind of give a little bit more of an introduction to Steph, who is our guest this episode. And Steph, I wanted to ask you, so how did you start watching Avatar? What's your background and maybe a few of your favorite characters? I was just thinking about this. Like, I don't really have a specific start date for when I started watching Avatar because I think I watched kind of sporadic episodes when I was a teenager and it would have been on like Nickelodeon. But I guess I was doing my GCSEs then, because I'm British and that's what we do. (laughs) They're exams, for anyone wondering. They're horrendous. (laughs) And then I would have been at college, um, and then I would have gone away to university. So I kind of, I think I came back back into it when I was like in my early 20s, and like properly watched it from start to finish. And I've kind of watched it maybe once every couple of years and then it was on Netflix so I watched it once a year for like the last three years (laughs) so I've seen it quite a lot 
And yet I somehow always forget so much stuff that happens. So it's been actually really nice watching it again for this. I'm actually like really thinking about it as well, because, you know, when you just kind of like put something on in the background and you just kind of let it go. Right. So it's been kind of cool just getting to actually like sit down and like take some notes and be like, oh, yeah, this thing and actually noticing things that happen. That's been cool. Favorite characters. Katara is like my like top tier. I love her so much. She's the absolute best and I adore her. I mean, it's such a difficult show to pick favourites from because, like, everyone is so cool in their own way and they're all really interesting characters, which I think is, like, really difficult to do with a show that has actually quite a large cast of supporting characters and, like, extra characters. Like, I, I like most of the characters, even the villains, just because they're, they're really interesting. So, like, in terms of, like, villains I enjoy to I enjoy watching, I know we've not, like, met her yet, but, like, Azula is one of my faves. Yeah, she's so cool. <laughs> She's so cool, and I love her. She did appear last episode, very briefly. Yes, I know. I noticed that I, when I was doing my watch, and I was like, oh, look! <laughs> She's just sat there smiling as her as her baby brother is mutilated. <laughs> Which should give you a vague indication as to what to expect from her right. going <laughs> Yeah. I describe myself as a Zuko apologist. <laughs> But, like, in a really literal sense in that, like, that's my son, he's an idiot, and I apologise for him. <laughs> such a dramatic idiot. I love it. <laughs> I think I wrote that in my notes. I was like, why do you have to be so dramatic? <laughs> this is unnecessary flair. If we were in modern times, Zuko would totally be the theatre kid. Like, the reluctant theatre kid. <laughs> oh my god, Yeah. <laughs> He totally would. Like, he'd say he doesn't like it, but then he, like, signs up for everything to do with the Yeah, 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 that's so true. It's <laughs> so accurate. And he manages to make all his friends, like, in the theatre group, even though previously he had no friends, but, you know. Oh my gosh. Bless. Bless him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, like I say, it's really difficult for me to pick, to pick favourites, but, like, Katara is, like, like, right up there. Like, I loved her from, like, the first episode. Yeah, she's great. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's just the bubble that I live in, but everyone I talk to seems to love Katara. <laughs> yeah, and it's like really weird how much hate she gets online. But like, one of the things I really like about her, I'm just like, uh, okay to go off on a tangent for a second. I like that she's allowed to be mean mm -hmm. sometimes. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's like you have this kind of like stereotype character of, of the girl of the group, the like mom friend. Do you know what I mean? Of like, she takes care of everyone and like, she's the sensible one and all this kind of, and Katara definitely like embodies that, but also she's allowed to do stupid, stupid yes. stuff. <laughs> Obviously that is, if we watch the waterbending scroll episodes, a really good episode for that, where she's like, she's malicious in a way and like mean and she apologises for it, as she should, because she is mean to Angwin, like, because he's naturally gifted and all of that. But, like, that's also a really valid emotion to be, like, working really hard at something and then be outdone. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, she's allowed to have these, like, conflicting emotions and, like, allowed to have, like, moments where she falters and isn't, like, a good friend all the time and isn't, like, always taking care of everyone. I really like that she gets to be that layered, especially in a cartoon from so long ago. Right. You need to look at it in the kind of context of when these things came out. It's like, this was like 15 years ago. It's like, yes, we've got lots more characters who are like that now. And I'm so glad that kids growing up now are going to have like 50 or 100 Kataras right. <laughs> that they can look up to. She was like one of mine. And we didn't have that many back then. Being a 15 year old watching the show and seeing this girl 
with like righteous anger and they mm-hmm. frame it in a way that it's like she's in the right when Sokka is being sexist and when mm. he's being an idiot. <laughs> to, to be fair to Sokka though, he like drinks respect women juice one yes. time and then just like <laughs> internalizes it forever. Yes. But I like that in that first episode, it's framed in a way that it's like, no, Katara's right. Like you have every right to be mad if a guy is insulting your intelligence because you're a woman. Yeah. <laughs> And I think there's so much pressure on female characters to be perfect Mm -hmm. because, you know, they need to be likable. That's the thing that we always hear, right? Is that like, oh, this female character isn't likable. Yeah. And it's like, well, why do women need to be likable all the time? Men don't need to be likable all the time. (laughs) That's so evident in society. (laughs) Yes. I think as well, like, when you think about, like, the amount of hate she gets, that's probably indicative of how revolutionary it was to have a character, a female character, like that mm-hmm. on screen at that time. It's like, people weren't used to it, and they didn't quite know, I think a lot of people just didn't quite know how to deal with a female character who wasn't either, like, the worst, and, like, intentionally the worst, or perfect and, and unoffensive in her every move. I agree. It's Katara loving hours in the house. (laughs) It is, even though she's barely in this episode. She has trouble this episode. She has some problems. (laughs) So we still love her, nonetheless. We do. So let's get into the episode then. Okay. And talk about the opening scene, which uh, I guess a good place to start, I think, would be to talk maybe about the Yuyan, because they get introduced right in this, this beginning which is very atmospheric. I felt like when I was watching it, like I was watching some show about like a medieval castle or something. It actually reminded me of the beginning of Mulan where they're on the Great Wall. I was just thinking of Mulan as well. So I've been watching The Untamed, which is a Chinese show. And there's like several scenes in that which involve archery and like it definitely kind of like rang true to, to the way that those are kind of shot and framed. There's like this thing that like so many of these things do. And I don't know if it's specifically like China, but I see it in a lot of like Chinese drama of this idea of like shooting multiple arrows and hitting multiple targets. That's like a big thing because they do that in Mulan as well, and they do it in The Untamed. Oh, they do it in Mulan. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> the tree during um, I Make a Man Out of You. <laughs> yes. And Mushu puts the apple on the end of <laughs> Mulan's arrow. Yes. Love that. That's what I would do. <laughs> Uh, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. I was looking at it more from like a fantasy medieval type perspective, which it also reminded me a little bit of Lord of the Rings with like the Battle of Helm's Deep. Mm. But I think it's much more likely that it's pulling from these Chinese references. I think it can be both. <laughs> yeah, so we do see, we get to see Zhao and another Fire Nation leader dude who doesn't get named, I don't think. No, he doesn't. I he doesn't. I went back and listened because I wanted to <laughs> see who it was that I was giving rights to for twenty four hours. I don't like anyone who like is a leader in the Fire Nation, but this guy like yells at Zhao for a while. So I'm like, okay, you're allowed one right for twenty four hours, and and if you don't use it, then it's being revoked. One thing that kind of struck me looking at these two is that they look very similar, and also the Fire Nation guy who was on Zuko's ship last episode also looked kind of similar and I don't know if maybe it's intentional in that they're supposed to all look alike because they're all kind of 
leaders of this army, but they they have a very similar like mutton chops and you know a hairstyle and stuff like that. Could be like reusable animation because they do that. I think sometimes, don't they? Where they'll just like to save time, they'll reuse sketches and things. Yeah, and if you're making a TV show, you're often under pressure to deliver things quickly, right? So it could have something to do with that, but I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, just kind of shared character design. I think it's a combination of that, and they are supposed to look uniform. Like, they're they're this group of soldiers who kind of have to go by the code, and it seems like the Fire Nation is pretty restrictive in that way, so... I feel like they'd be like, yeah, all of the lieutenants have to wear their hair this way. <laughs> right. That wouldn't surprise me. And yeah, I mean, that is a military thing, right? Like, you can't have long hair in the military, in yeah. the Western military. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense a lot for, for a nation that uses fire. <laughs> Having long hair is a surefire way of getting singed, man. Unless you're Ozai, and then you just throw all the rules out of the window. Well, yeah. <laughs> But they do have long hair, don't they? They just tie it back, a lot of them. But he has it, like, really long and flowing, yes, doesn't he? Yes. Like Ozai's one redeeming quality. He has good hair. He's got good hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Not much of a redeeming quality. That's just genetics. <laughs> it's not. It's not. I did also notice that when Zhao smirked, he looked a tiny bit, to me at least, like Jason Isaacs for just, like, a second. And then we see the... Blue Spirit, which is what I'm going to call it, even though it doesn't get called that in this episode. Oh, how weird. I didn't realize that they didn't refer to him. As no, well. they they don't. I, I listened out as well because I wasn't sure. But I guess presumably they do later on. Yeah. The Blue Spirit comes back a lot. So. <laughs> Damn it, I should have guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we see him for the first time just kind of lurking in the background. Yeah, and then we find out that Zhao gets a promotion. He's promoted to lieutenant. And I was kind of wondering what earned him that promotion because he's been doing a really bad job so far. (laughs) That's true. Oh my god, that's so true. He has not been successful in just about anything that we've seen him do. (laughs) It does actually kind of worry me because it's like, oh my god, what kind of like horrendous thing has he done that we've not seen? Right. Has earned him that, because it can't be anything good. Probably burned down some Earth Kingdom village somewhere. Oh, Oh, no. Yeah, that's a good point. I have no idea. But, you know, I guess for some reason he's got his promotion, and uh, Zuko is not very happy about it. Although, we don't actually know that the Blue Spirit is Zuko at this point. But uh... (laughs) And so from there, we then go to Aang and Sokka and Katara. Meanwhile... Elsewhere, uh, Sokka's having a rough time. He's not well. Well, I like they continued that thread from the previous episode. Like, the storm actually having ramifications was interesting to me that they did that because a lot of cartoon shows they just kind of are not really threaded together that well. I think what's nice about Avatar is this connection that we have between episodes. And we've been talking about it in the past few episodes. And season one is kind of strangely paced in some ways. And I th- I feel like... 
I kind of feel like the storm is a big turning point, actually. And maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like from now on, the episodes might be more connected to each other. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so yeah, well, we see that Sokka is sick in this episode, and that Katara is also getting sick, uh, unfortunately. Because she starts coughing, and Aang says, that's what Sokka was like yesterday. So they need to figure out a cure. And it's not going to be matte-flavoured tea. Yeah, so Aang does propose matte-flavoured tea. I couldn't find any ginger root, but here's a map! Well, to be fair, it's a very helpful map. It is a very helpful map, it's just not good for tea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they see that there's an herbalist up on the hill, so Aang is like, alright, I'm going to go find a cure for you guys. Because Sokka is not fit to go anywhere and neither is Katara at this point honestly <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he abandons them to Appa and Momo <laughs> which will prove interesting later on it will <laughs> <laughs> they showed Katara from Momo's perspective and I just thought that was so funny I was like I wonder if that's how my cats see me when I'm talking to them <laughs> Yeah, I do wonder that as well when I'm talking to my dog. I'm just like, do you understand anything I'm saying? There's like, a, I don't know if this is like a real legitimate theory, but there's like a, I've heard that like dogs have roughly the same like verbal capacity for understanding as like a two-year-old child. So that's why we can teach them certain commands, I guess. By now, surely, like Momo understands water. <laughs> said it so many times. Well, I feel like if cats could understand people, they probably would choose to ignore them anyway. Yeah, that's true. Momo was trying. I mean... He was trying. He was. He tried very hard. He understood, very clearly understood that she wanted him to bring them something. Yes. <laughs> he just didn't know what it was. And I feel like Appa is way more intelligent. Like, Aang told him to... Fly across the canyon and the Great Divide, and he just like did it. So <laughs> I feel like they would have been better off asking Appa, but Appa was being a bed. Yes. <laughs> he also doesn't. He also doesn't have opposable thumbs, so I don't know <laughs> yes. that he would have been able to. <laughs> Good point. Work, work the water bottle thing. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. So they send Momo on a quest. We go to Zuko's ship where uh, Uncle Iroh is playing Pai Show again. And after last week's episode, I kind of wish now that Uncle Iroh and Monk Gyatso could have played against each other, because I think that would have been really fun. That would have been an epic, an epic friendship if it could have been possible. Aww. I love that. Now I'm kind of sad. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> to be fair, they were like also, they're also kind of like split by time, just in general. Yes. <laughs> it's not just that Iroh's like ancestors are the worst. True. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, they they could have been friends if they lived in the same time, I feel like. It could have solved so many things. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, like Aang says at the end, he's like, you know, maybe in another time you and me could have been friends to Zuko. Similar kind of thing, you know? <laughs> Ooh, my heart. <laughs> Sorry, I'm stabbing everyone in the heart. <laughs> Ouch. So, yeah, so they're on the ship chilling i guess um <laughs> <laughs> very chill until xiao's men show up 
Jao just ruins everything. That's He's a life ruiner. He ruins lives. <laughs> he, ruins he ruins people's, people's lives. lives. I'm so glad we all knew that reference. So after they show up, basically uh, Zuko tells them to uh, GTFO, as I wrote. And then we kind of cut to these two guys who are... They heard rumors about the Avatar, which I thought was hilarious. It says here that the Avatar can create tornadoes and run faster than the wind. It's like, that's ridiculous. Don't be stupid. That's Fire Nation propaganda. <laughs> yeah. When Aang just like appears running at like the speed of light. <laughs> yeah, he's zooming around this episode quite a lot. I, funnily enough, I had in my notes that I, he re- was reminding me a little bit of Quicksilver in the X-Men mm. movies, or I guess in the Avengers movies. Nah, we don't, we don't talk about that Quicksilver. <laughs> so he ends up going uh, to the uh, herbalist, right? The herbalist is very kind of slow and just goes at her own pace. And it made me think about how, you know, Aang is probably kind of similar to Quicksilver in some ways because he does move at a very fast pace because he's an airbender. Mm. And he's a kid, which, you know... Endless supplies of energy. Exactly. (laughs) So I feel like he probably does feel like Quicksilver and that, like, people need to step it up because, uh... Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, let's move, let's go, let's go. go. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't know what you thought about that, Rage. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think Aang at some points can practice a lot of patience and then at other points it's just like... I don't have time for this. <laughs> like, for this, for sure, he's really impatient because his friends are sick, and I feel like yeah. that's just a burden getting in the way of everything. And also, I do think he feels bad for them, so he wants them to get better as quickly as possible. Right. But then we have, like, the meditating side of Aang that is extremely patient, and he's also very patient with people who are his perceived enemies like Zuko so (laughs) that's a good point the dichotomy of man (laughs) we contain multitudes and so does Aang (laughs) this is true this is true and I mean like the 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 woman kind of like makes so much sense I mean if you were like living alone on the top of a mountain with just your cat like cats are so like that anyway as well aren't they they're just like I'll do it in my own time. Yes. <laughs> like, you're not going to make me do a thing until I am ready to do it. And she's kind of like that, isn't she? She's just kind of like, no, first I have to get Miyuki her, her meal. Yes. <laughs> and then I will help. Yeah, so we get introduced to a uh, cat lady herbalist. She's very interesting and she gives Aang some advice about what to do for his friends. <laughs> yes. Which confused me endlessly. I did not understand what was going on because she said that, well, she was talking about wood frogs, but she said they have to be frozen and you can't suck on them if they're not frozen for some reason, which I thought didn't make any sense. But um, there does seem to be, Rach, I think you were looking into this earlier, some kind of connection between, is it frogs or toads, I think, Um, and Chinese medicine? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we tried to rely a little bit on Avatar Wiki for this episode, and it didn't work out in our favor. <laughs> no. So I was like, I'm going to do my own research on this, because they were talking about hallucinogens in, like, Colorado toads or something, and I was like, um, that doesn't quite connect. 
So I looked it up and I'll just read this little blurb that I found from an article. It says, for millennia, secretions from the skin and from the glands of frogs near their ears, as well as from their bones and muscle tissues have been used as remedies for infections, bites, cancer, heart disorders, hemorrhages, allergies, inflammation, pain, and even AIDS. And apparently this is quite common in Chinese medicine. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, but I still question the thing about them having to be frozen. <laughs> frozen. <laughs> frozen frogs. That was just seemed strange to me, especially because wood frogs are a real thing. I know people who study wood frogs, so I just, I was just very thrown by the fact that, like, they're real, but these ones are a little strange. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a, that's kind of a thing though in in the Avatar universe, isn't it? It's like all the animals are like animals we have, but not. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's a good point. They're always just like a little bit off. They're either kind of like a mashup of two different animals, like the like is it penguins and seals in the first episode? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And or or they're just a little bit weird. Right. <laughs> just a little <laughs> bit odd. So it's like these are like frogs, but for some reason they freeze. <laughs> <laughs> and you just don't have to question it because that's just the way this world works it's just like animals are a little bit wonky in this universe maybe she was just like they taste better frozen it's a frog sickle like i don't it won't let you suck on it because it's a real live living animal that doesn't want to be in your mouth yes <laughs> well and katara and uh Sokka seem to like them until they thawed and then they were like ugh yes <laughs> So that kind of checks out, I guess. Aang kind of like literally says to her, like, You're insane, aren't you? And she's like, Yup. And he <laughs> still trusts her. It's like, I kind of like that about Aang of like, he recognizes that this person is not operating in a sort of way that other people would consider normal. <laughs> but he appreciates that she, she has like this herbalist's reputation. Mm hmm. She must know what she's talking about. So, like, even though she feels a bit off kilter to him and he's a bit like, you're a strange person, <laughs> but I still value your opinion and your advice enough to actually go and act on it, which I think is kind of, kind of nice, actually. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was it was kind of a funny, like almost nonsensical plot line, but it did add a little bit of lore to the show because it introduced this idea of there being people who care for the wounded soldiers and she's the only one left like she says I'm all alone I don't there used to be more people that did this sort of thing and I think it's just another reflection on the fire nation just like picking off people yeah I do I do kind of like her implication she's just like um I'm just like this woman living at the top of a mountain with my cat and just like sometimes soldiers come here and I look after them <laughs> it's like that's like hashtag goals to be honest like <laughs> Oh, to be a woman living alone for the most part, but sometimes handsome men stop by. <laughs> and women, probably. It's like, it's all good. Love it. <laughs> Aspiring to be the herbalist lady. That's like, that's my, that's my goal for my life, is to be a, a secluded old woman living on a mountain with my cat. Yeah, I would say dog, but I, I agree, that is a good goal. <laughs> uh, or both, you know, why not both? Yeah, don't discriminate. Yeah, dogs and cats, sky bison and uh, flying lemurs. And frozen frogs. 
But like, just imagine, like, every time you get a bad cold, all you have to do is suck on your frozen frog for about five minutes. And... That's a good point. So, yeah, so Aang leaves and he, he has, you know, uh, an idea now of what c- can be done to cure his friends. But unfortunately, he has some, he has some really good archers on his tail. I like this scene. It's really, really well animated. I was just in awe of the way they animated the wind kind of blowing through the grass and the archers were really fluid in their movements. I thought it was really pretty. I loved it as well. I mean, the show has such, just generally, I think, has just such great animations. Like, mm-hmm. it's really beautiful. Yeah, I just thought it was so relentless and, you know, tying into what I was saying earlier about Aang, you know, being very fast-paced, but this time there were people who could keep up with him. Yeah, they're about the only competent people we've seen from the Fire Nation so far. (laughs) This is true. This is so true. Yep. Everyone is so incompetent. Iroh is very competent, but he's just like, nah, you got this. Nah. (laughs) I'm gonna chill. He's not interested in capturing the Avatar, so... I think he is, but only in so much as it relates to Zuko. I don't think he has any actual interest in catching the Avatar, like... But because it's what Zuko needs. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, because, like, just to go back to the kind of previous episode where you kind of, like, learn about Zuko, and you... But you also learn a little bit about Iroh as well, because... Iroh was the one who put put him in that meeting. So he probably feels a certain amount of guilt for putting him in that situation. Because, you know, he probably knew his nephew well enough to know that he might speak up. True. (laughs) And then he doesn't... He clearly, like... I mean, we don't know what happened behind closed doors, but, like, he doesn't manage to stop them putting him in the Agnikai, whether he speaks up or not, to try and and convince them not to to start that thing i don't know and then he he says he looked away yeah right. like he knew he knew exactly what was going well not necessarily exactly what was going to happen but he knew something bad was going to happen to zuko and that his dad was likely going to injure him yeah and he turned away so i think iroh has like a lot of guilt mm-hmm. for not a preventing zuko from being in that situation as a 14 year old kid in the first place and b not stepping in and stopping his brother from causing that kind of pain. Right. So, like, I think everything that he does, kind of, in terms of, like, supporting Zuko finding the Avatar is based in that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's a really good point. Yeah, I hadn't really thought as much about how guilty Iroh probably feels in this scenario. And that's probably has a lot to do with, you know, how much he cares about Zuko. And there's other stuff too, I'm sure. And I think Rach has told me that we'll learn more about that. But There's a lot more to him. Yeah, I don't want to spoil that because it's really a good reveal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, that's really interesting to think about, I think. I also love that he knows Zuko so well because earlier on in the in the episode, he says, that's such a great line. Is everything Okay. It's been almost an hour, and you haven't given the men an order. So this scene with the archers leads to Aang getting captured, unfortunately. No. No! I did see in Steph's notes that she said the same thing as me, that when (laughs) 
Aang picks up the arrow and he's like, I think you draft this. Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's so polite. I love him. Polite king. We love to see it. <laughs> Bless. I like that he kind of gives them the out of it being... I don't know if that's necessarily what they intended it as, but it's like almost giving them the out of being like, you accidentally dropped this arrow. I'm giving you the opportunity to walk away from this. <laughs> oh, sorry. Thanks for picking it up for me. We'll just leave now. He's a sweetheart, is Aang. Um, Zhao is not a sweetheart. No. No. Zhao is super evil. He imprisons Aang, and Aang is like tied with his both his arms kind of to one side. And apparently in the original idea for the episode, um, he was supposed to be like hanging upside down with like all four limbs. Oh gosh. Stretched out. That's some yikes. <laughs> yeah, well, so that's why they didn't do it, because apparently like standards and practices for animation were like, no. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> but it just goes to show like he he's just a terrible, terrible person. I think um, you see a little bit of the duality of Aang in that situation again, which I put in my notes as well. It's like, he is like the loveliest, politest boy, and I love him. But also, he's just like immediately down to fight when he needs to. (laughs) He's just like, I'll fight you right now. (laughs) Let me go. I'll fight you right now. Yeah, and Zhao is just like, no. (laughs) He knows he's going to lose that fight. Yeah, because he already has before, honestly. (laughs) Exactly. It's like the one competent thing he does in the entire episode is like not let him go to fight him. <laughs> like it's we're lowering the bar really far for competency, but like not letting your like incredibly powerful enemy go is. Yeah, when he was talking to him though, and he sort of taunts him about the air nomads and Aang being the only one left, that just made my blood boil. I was so angry at him. <laughs> I like how this episode is just like constantly like, hey, remember this guy? He's the worst. <laughs> like, I know that you think all these other characters might be bad, but this guy is the worst. <laughs> well, this is after the storm in which we established that Ozai is the worst. Well, he is. I mean, yeah, that is true. He is the the the, uh, the utmost worst. But like, <laughs> in terms of like people that you meet on a kind of semi-regular basis in these in this series yeah yeah i mean he's definitely much more of a villain than zuko oh yeah i mean i think they're very much trying to establish that oh yeah we talked about this rebecca kind of briefly when when we were when we were talking the other day about like the difference like in motivation is what i think sets these two characters apart in that and why i said to you that like i think you describe Zhao as a villain and Zuko as an antagonist. Mm, It's like, Zuko, like, drives the kind of negative aspects of the plot. um, And so does Zhao. But Zhao is doing it for power. He's doing it for himself. He's doing it, you know, because he enjoys it, I think, a little bit. Like, I think he likes having power over other people. I think he likes causing pain. Mm -hmm. Whereas Zuko's motivations, which we obviously learned in, in The Storm, are so much more based in... Something that he, something that is inherently good, mm-hmm. that for that I say forces, not forces, because he's not forced to do anything. He's doing bad things that he shouldn't be doing, but like it comes from a place of wanting something good. Like he wants his father to love him and respect him, right? And he wants to go home. He's a he's a teenage boy who has been horrendously mutilated <laughs> by his own father, yep. and he wants to go home. 
and he wants everything to go back to the way it was before that happened and that's really understandable he's not out doing it because of some like fire nation superiority yeah (laughs) and like that's something that's probably still instilled in him because you can't grow up you can't grow up in that like imperialist with that imperialist attitude and not internalize it like that's one of the kind of like really prevalent now where you're just like we have to unlearn this stuff for the rest of our lives and he will be like hopefully like one day that will go away (laughs) right (laughs) some people don't some people are not capable of that like but i think the fact that in the very first episode like he goes to to the water tribe i was saying to rebecca like he he grabs the old woman you're like oh my god what's he gonna do to the old woman (laughs) (laughs) and then he's like he'd look like this and then gives her back (laughs) <laughs> you're like you're bad at, you're bad at being bad because it doesn't come inherently naturally to him and that doesn't mean that he doesn't do bad things he does absolutely and like that should be held to account but it doesn't come inherently naturally to him to be a bad person mm-hmm. like so much of what he's doing is rooted in wanting to be a good son as opposed to wanting to do bad things for his own personal gain um which i to say like just to kind of go like to circle back to what my original point was, just, like, sectioning off, like, villainous behaviour to antagonistic behaviour, I think. Mm-hmm. And why I kind of, like, view Zuko differently to someone like Zhao. I'm really glad you talked about that, because I was hoping you would bring that up after we talked about it the other day, because I think that's a really good point and something that um, is very relevant to this episode, because we do get to see both of them play quite a big role in this episode. And I think it really speaks to the differences between them in how they handle things. Because the next thing we see is that Zuko, although we don't know it's Zuko at this point, <laughs> he shows up to, to free Aang. This scene is so great. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good scene. Well, it's quite a long, kind of prolonged action scene, right? But there's a lot of like quirky things because also Aang has all the frogs on him. <laughs> Which are now no longer frozen, so they start causing chaos. Oh, but we like we take a, we take a brief pause, don't we, to like go back to Zhao again, just once again proving that he's awful. Right. And his kind of like speech on the. Yeah, yeah. Um, speech is so reminiscent of like any authoritarian leader. It's what's it from Star Wars, like, hacks. It's it's him giving his his stormtrooper speech before annihilating a planet, isn't it? Like it's that guy. He's that yeah, guy, right? And he says he's targeting Bossing Say. That's their next kind of big goal is to conquer Bossing Say because they haven't been able to do that before. And they say, "Oh, we're going to use the comet to do this." Right. Yeah. It seems like Iroh tried to do it once before and was unsuccessful. They, they're they set on doing that, which I guess is their, like, I don't know, Death Star type thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little bit, it is a little bit like that in, this, in a sense. It's kind of the, like, the the one-shot the one kind of, one-shot kill kind of thing, I guess, for them. Like, we're going to have this one day and we're just going to get everything done in this one shot, like. Yeah. Again, in the style of an authoritarian leader, he wants to make sure that, like, the message gets out that he's caught the Avatar. He tells the transcriptionist okay you got my speech down let's send it out to the fire lord (laughs) yeah (laughs) what he does not know when he says that is when we circle back the blue spirit had paid a visit Uh, i think we wrote a similar thing as well again rach about like the bucket yes (laughs) that just gets me every time (laughs) oh my god every time 
the guards kind of disperse, don't they? Like the, the helmet rolls in, the frogs are coming under the door. <laughs> They're having a very weird <laughs> night, whatever. The, the blue spirit kind of comes around the corner and like starts to like fight with the the one guard who's left over, and he like sends fire at him, and he just throws a bucket of water at it <laughs> and douses it, and then hits him in the legs with the bucket. <laughs> so funny. This is why Zuko shouldn't be a firebender. He should just be like. Like, soccer, just, like... Right. Just, like, fighting with weapons, because he's so much better at it. Yeah, it's interesting how he's deliberately not firebending, because obviously he doesn't want, like, anyone to know that it's him. But in doing so, it might have actually been better for him. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. (laughs) I wonder if he, like, just saw Katara waterbending, and he was like, oh, hold on, wait a minute. Hang on, that could work. (laughs) Water versus fire. Oh! Oh! That's what you call learning from your mistakes. <laughs> right. <laughs> your mistakes, like trying to take on Katara. That's a bad idea. <laughs> People are going to learn this many, many times. Yes. <laughs> a valid lesson. There's just so many cool things in this, like, protracted action scene. There's all these, like, little, I guess maybe you would call them set pieces, where, you know, you have, like, uh, th- there's the bit when <laughs> I called it helicoptang, which is when Aang... <laughs> spins around the um, the wooden stick that he's got, and then he turns himself into a helicopter. I, I love I love when Zuko goes in and just like you know in like Indiana Jones when that guy is like swirling the swords around. Yes. And then Indiana just shoots him. <laughs> like there's just no need for this. Like stop being dramatic. Just get on with it. Like you've got two swords. Cut the just cut the the chains and be done with it. You don't need to be like throwing your arms around like look at how like well i can spin these swords around we get it <laughs> this is why he's a theater kid <laughs> i like this headcanon that you've both come up with <laughs> modern zuko is a theater kid i really liked the bit with the ladders i thought that was really cool how they worked together and they were spacing out the ladders and sort of yeah making their way across the battlefield without getting touched until the one guy shoots fire up the ladder. But <laughs> One guy grows a brain yes. cell. He's <laughs> like, oh yeah. Oh, I can firebend and these ladders are made out of wood. Okay. <laughs> this is what we're talking about. Like the level of general incompetency in the Fire Nation is staggering. And it's amazing that they have held on to power for this long. Right. It's really only because of the comet, I guess. The comet was what did it for them. Well, it was what won the war, but it's not necessarily what, like, held on to power for a hundred years. Every time they come up against anybody else, like, when you see them in, like, Earth, like, bender villages. I mean, this is why the Earth Nation hasn't been conquered, I guess. <laughs> but, like, it's just it's just funny to me. I just find it hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's true to a certain extent of the Empire in Star Wars, too. Like stormtroop stormtroopers can't shoot. Right. <laughs> You're like, how how did you hold on to power for this long? I think it's just like the people being commanded by Zuko and Zhao are just like so stupid. Like, they stuck them with the worst. <laughs> We're just seeing the worst. We're just seeing the worst of them. And the worst has been assigned to get the Avatar, which is the most important thing. <laughs> 
Although, although to be fair, like nobody had seen the Avatar in a hundred years. So. True, true. So maybe it was just like, okay, I guess you could do this. <laughs> yeah, fine, whatever. That's that's what you can do. <laughs> I think Aang really throws them off too because he's this twelve-year-old kid who is extremely skilled in what he does, and I think people are constantly underestimating him, which is just a really bad thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, just, like, kind of going back to the kind of, like, Fire, Fire, Fire Nation propaganda thing and then him completely, like, no, <laughs> right. that's actually genuinely probably true. <laughs> like, just don't underestimate Aang. It's a bad idea. That's a good point. Yeah. They end up almost getting away, but at the very last minute they are not able to. And what Zuko quickly realises, he also grows a brain cell. The brain cells bouncing around from like enemy to to yes. Uh, they don't want the avatar dead. Basically, he is able to threaten the life of the avatar and get out that way. And it's worth pointing out at this point that Zuko has the brain cell, so nobody else thinks about the fact that if the avatar dies, it's at least another ten to fifteen years before anybody can actually like challenge them. True, yeah, because Jiao says he's like, oh, you know, I don't want to kill you because then they'll just, yeah, there'll be another one. He, I think he even says that, um, but yeah. Does he say, I don't know if he actually says it, but I remember thinking it at the time when he was like, we need him alive, and I was like, why? <laughs> and it's like, you've got time to plan for that, and you know roughly where they're going to be because you know what the the sequence of events here is. Right, it's either going to be the northern or the southern, southern water tribe. Or it could be a swamp bender, you know. <laughs> this is true. That that would throw that would throw them off. To be fair, and it's like I, I was like I think I put it in my notes as well. I was like, I love you, Ang, and I don't want anything bad to happen to you ever. But this is a dumb, stupid, like strategic decision that Zhao is making right now. <laughs> Which is, you know, that's the point because they're incompetent. But <laughs> <laughs> as we discussed, no brain cell. Yeah, uh, it's it's it is pretty hilarious um, how nobody thinks about that. That like this new avatar would be a baby, and like even if you didn't like even if you didn't find them, like you've got because like they know about Sozin's comet at this point, so they know that they've got a year. What's a one year old gonna do? <laughs> right, that's a good point. Yeah, why did nobody think of this? Because that <laughs> Zuko has the brain cell right now. I do think that it's also an ego thing, like presenting a live like I captured this guy that nobody's been able to capture before like I think it's very much an ego thing for Zhao as well that's that's true that's that's true yeah and I guess as well if like he does that then it's entirely on his own power like nobody can say like oh somebody else killed him or like it's entirely I am delivering this person and like I'm doing it this way because I'm powerful enough to deliver him alive I guess yeah, I can I can see that, but at the same time, I'm like strategically though, like from a completely like from a totally outside no 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 not not on anybody's side in particular viewpoint. The clever thing to do right now, if you want to win the war, is but he's not clever. He's an egoist, and yeah, <laughs> it makes sense from from that perspective. <laughs> so that's when we actually find out that the blue spirit is Zuko. Because we catch a glimpse of his scarred eye, right? Mm -hmm. I was a little bit confused by this. So here's the thing. I was actually spoiled that the blue spirit was Zuko. <laughs> but 
I started to doubt myself in the very beginning of the episode that I had actually read that because I didn't really understand like why he was hanging out at the castle because like isn't he supposed to be on the ship so I started to doubt myself and then it came back around and it was Zuko again so in a way it was kind of a surprise (laughs) maybe it was just him he knew Zhao was his best chance at trying to find the avatar so he's like oh I'll just spy on him and then if he captures the avatar then I'll use that to my advantage (laughs) I don't even know it's necessarily like I mean maybe that's like one part of it I think as well like some part is just making sure he's not he doesn't capture the avatar yeah this episode is really kind of bizarre to me in that respect because it's like there are a number of times when he prioritizes Aang escaping over him being the one to get Aang out, if that makes sense. Especially at the end, because he doesn't even try to follow him at the end. And he doesn't seem that bothered about trying to follow him either. Do you know what I mean? It's not like he seems frustrated that Aang got away again. He's he's quite quiet. Maybe he's concussed from getting hit in the head with an arrow. <laughs> I mean, there is potentially that. Maybe it was Aang's words that kind of... Maybe. For like for like a minute there, he was like, okay. Yeah, because Aang does give this really sweet speech once they're alone together. He talks about the possibility that they might have been friends. Yeah, I think I just wrote too good for this world, too pure. <laughs> Aang is definitely a cinnamon roll. He's like the dictionary definition of a cinnamon roll. He's the, looks like a cinnamon roll, is a cinnamon roll, could still kill you. <laughs> <laughs> he won't. But he, he, he could. Right. Mm. Yeah, I thought that scene was really sweet. Um, I just love how much he values friendship too. Because he talks about in that scene about how, you know, he lost his friends when he was told he was the Avatar. He ended up losing his friends. And then because he was in an iceberg for 100 years, you know, that also makes things tricky in terms of friendship. So... <laughs> Unless you're boomy and you live for like 100 years. Yeah. So, and now he has, you know, Katara and Sokka, and he clearly values that friendship very much. And I just think it's really sweet how he considers even the possibility of him and Zuko being friends. I think it's really important that Aang was a nomad and that he was taken all over the world and made friends with people from all different nations because Mm. he talks about how he was friends with Kuzan, who was his friend from the Fire Nation. And I think that just gives Aang a completely different perspective from anybody else on the show. And he's more willing to offer like an olive branch to people who are different from him because of that experience. I think that's also something that's important to real life as well. <laughs> like if you have the opportunity to travel and see different cultures and make friends from all different walks of life, I feel like it just opens your worldview so much more and gives you more empathy as well. And I think as well, he lives at such a different time because obviously like prior, I mean, we don't we don't know like hugely what, what everything was like back then, but like certainly now all the nations because of the war are so isolated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like even the two water tribes just don't communicate with each other. Right. Really. And like the Earth Kingdom has shut itself off as best it can. Like Barsing Say is like locked away and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, trying, like holding the fort, I guess. And then like obviously the Fire Nation is 
in charge again like quotations like and and everybody's just kind of and obviously the, the air nation has been destroyed and it's like ang just like had such a wonderful opportunity to like travel at a time when these nations weren't at war and didn't hate each other and probably did have like closer connections just generally there was probably a lot more trade going back and forth there was probably a lot more pe people in general probably traveled a lot more between nations and like you say like that gives him like this completely different perspective on on each nation mm -hmm. yeah i love that i I totally agree with you both that it's so important to have all those different perspectives just for you to grow as a person, I think. In that way, I think that Aang, even though he's younger than Zuko, he is more mature than Zuko in that sense. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and he also has, I mean, to be fair, he also has the benefit of growing up with people who are, or, or certainly at the very least, like Kiatsu is like, he had a really good mentor who really genuinely cared about him and genuinely mm -hmm. looked after him and, and allowed him to have that experience. It, it's really important kind of looking at those two characters of like difference in upbringing and like what it means to have somebody early on in your life who protects you and lets you have fun. Because like, like fun is so central to Aang's character and it's so not central to Zuko. Right. What is fun? Like Zuko doesn't know how to have how to have fun. Um <laughs> or like the fun that he does know is so twisted. Right. And that's something that comes up in a in an episode much later. I think Rach might know which episode I'm talking about potentially that like when the Fire Nation kids have fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it's not always it's not always fun for everyone. Yeah. Well and even like his pastimes like he talks about how his mom would take him to see the plays that were put on at ember island and it's like mm. those plays were propaganda so like even the fire nation's version of fun is like let's brainwash our children <laughs> exactly so yeah no i mean like just in general like the show is like really good at like kind of showing you like how your upbringing and, and the sort of scenario in which you, you grow up and the people that you're allowed to be exposed to will shape who you become potentially as a person. But at the same time, that like it's not completely inherent that like, cause, like you see differences between different people from the same world. Mm -hmm. I think, and I think that's really good. I think it's really good at that. And like you see more of that, I think, going forward in season two and three. Yeah. When you start kind of being able to compare more people yeah i love that about the show this might actually be a good time uh rach for us to talk about what we were talking about the other day which is kind of an extension of last episode i kind of compared ang a little bit to anakin both of them are kind of kids who are put in this situation of being like a savior to everybody and they're told that attachment is bad for them and you know that they they need to be focused on this one thing and what we didn't talk about was how Monk Yatsu, I think, kind of parallels Qui-Gon Jinn in a way. Because he's the kind of mentor who understands a little bit more about uh, what this child needs, but he ends up losing that particular mentor. That kind of has negative consequences. But it's interesting, again, going back to like the differences in personality to see how Anakin and Aang end up very different. And I guess because, like, 
Anakin lost his Gyatso before he could have a real influence. Because mm-hmm. obviously, like, he, he only knows him for so long, whereas Ang, ha- even though he's only 12 when everything... That's, that's, that's who he's had his whole life. Like, yeah. it's, it's easy... It's even though it's been 112 years for him, it's not. It's only he's only like got those 12 years of memories, and then whatever has happened since. Mm-hmm. So Anakin also had. He 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 like lost he lost that that person who could have been that for him so early and so violently. Yeah, and it's like you know Obi Wan tries to step in, but like he's he's just lost his like tutor and it's 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 never going to be quite the same we were talking and we actually made a comparison of obi-wan to sokka like the reluctant older brother role yeah. that they have to take on a slightly slightly exasperated <laughs> right really cares about him and wants what's best for him but like also he's just a child soldier himself in a way and kind of and they're both very dramatic. Yeah, I think that's a, a good parallel. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I think that's an interesting parallel. And, you know, there's we've talked about there's so much connective tissue, I think, between Avatar and Star Wars because Dave Filoni is so involved yeah. with, with Avatar. So, you know, th- there's a lot there, I think, that can be kind of connected. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's sort of a tale as old as time, really, isn't it? The sort of the chosen one kind of bring balance... To, to the force or bring balance to the elements and the, the nation. Yeah. I guess we're nearing the end of the episode. We have this scene with uh, Zuko and Aang, and does anybody want to say anything else about that before we go to the ending? I noticed that Aang made like a little bed of leaves for Zuko to sleep on, and I was like, oh my god. I love you so much. <laughs> yes. We just go back to too good for this world, too pure. This guy has tried to like capture you how many times now? Like, and you still make him a bed of leaves. You are the best. Too good, too pure. You're adorable. Yeah, and then he goes back exhausted to his friends, who we kind of didn't talk about it actually in the end, but um, Momo has been bringing stuff to them <laughs> that is not water. Yeah, they have a treasure trove. Of, of things one, one wants to know where they all came from and how many people are going to be like missing their stuff in the morning <laughs> good question <laughs> that's a very good question i also like that he gave katara a crown because i feel like she deserves that the crown will come back the crown is an iris flip <gasps> i should have guessed the crown damn it <laughs> Yeah, I just, I thought that was very appropriate for her. And then Sokka even calls her princess, I think, at one point. Or your highness. But Aang comes back exhausted and just says, here, suck on these. (laughs) Just stuffs frogs in their mouth. And they're just like, yeah, sure. We're too delirious at this point to do anything about it. One one thing I kind of, I didn't think I put it in my notes, but one thing I kind of liked about, because when I was talking uh, before about kind of Zuko... I don't know if I was saying letting him go, but kind of not pursuing, I guess, as opposed to letting him go, is Aang goes goes to bed and is kind of, like, sad because he doesn't think he's had any impact on Zuko whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then you kind of flash back over to Zuko and he kind of does that thing where he, like, turns away from the, the Fire Nation 
and you see that even though like it might not be enough yet like you probably are seeing that like it has had some kind of impact and that's kind of it's kind of sad that ang like like doubts himself in that moment but we know that something got through right how much how much of it was specifically specifically ang and what he said i don't know and how much of it was like seeing what what was done to him and like what uh, Zhao is like and all of that kind of like muddling around in Zuko's brain but something has changed like it's the first time you really see him feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. with what's going on uh which I think is interesting yeah um and I kind of you kind of I kind of sit there and I'm like hey baby you, you see you hit you feel that you feel that like weird <laughs> fluttering in your stomach where you're like I don't feel good about this follow that instinct <laughs> right yeah, the way that was framed was also really well done because Aang, when he turns away, he turns away from the camera. And when Zuko turns away from the Fire Nation insignia, he's turning towards the camera. So just this really beautiful parallels there. And I, I enjoy that a lot. Yeah, I really liked that too. Maybe if the storm is kind of a turning point in terms of the series, I feel like the storm is also a turning point maybe in terms of Zuko. Mm. Because we get to see Zuko's backstory in the storm, and now I feel like we're getting a little bit more about sort of his conflict as well. Even though we've seen hints of that before, I feel like this might be a new direction for Zuko. I won't say anything. <laughs> yeah, we're staying. We're staying really quiet. Z- 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 Zuko is is so interesting, like to me as as a character, like just generally because of. Because of his, like, I, I don't want, like, not spoiling anything, but just, like, the journey that he does go on is so um, back and forth and up and down. And it, it keeps you, I think, guessing until, like, very late what's going to happen with him. It's non-linear. He's very non-linear, yeah. And I think that's really good because that's how people are mm-hmm. in real life, that, that people are not linear. And so we, we make different decisions based on different feelings in different days and like the decision that you make one day to to do something may not be the same decision another day with different circumstances even if the decision itself could potentially be the same which i think is really mature for for a children's show essentially yeah but then like animation animated shows are like that i swear like so many like kids animated shows are so clever and mature in ways that like a lot of like adult animated cartoons and stuff are not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is weird, I guess. Like but I I really like that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I think we've talked about this too before, Rach, with Aang as well and Katara and how they in terms of their journey on learning new things and uh I think they have a similar kind of non-linear arc. Mm-hmm. yeah mm, yeah i'd say so yeah. and soccer too so i think yeah it is really nice and i i think it's so important for young kids i guess well and older kids to have that because i feel like it helps teach you about you know growing up and how things are not necessarily straightforward and you have to navigate the ins and outs of many different shades of gray right and you know, you can be on the right trajectory like Aang and Katara and Sokka are, but sometimes you'll fall away from that. And what's important about that is that you 
make up for your mistakes and you apologize for them. But I like that they have the freedom to make those mistakes as well. Yeah, like, yeah, going back to what I was saying about Katara earlier, that you, like, just generally giving your characters the freedom to make mistakes, recognize their mistakes and apologize for them, and sometimes not apologize for them. (laughs) Yeah. Because she doesn't really apologize for, like, stealing from pirates. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which is, you know, stealing is wrong, unless it's from pirates. Which, as we talked about in our waterbending scroll episode, is not necessarily true because pirates have their own code. So <laughs> you no. might end up like really, really annoying some pirates, and you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. It's very dangerous. But yeah, I, I think that's that's a great way to uh, to wrap up this episode. Those conflicting feelings. I, I think what we le- what I, to go back to what I learned from this episode is stealing is okay as long as it's from Zhao. <laughs> Good answer. (laughs) Yes, excellent. Did anybody have anything else they wanted to bring up? I just wanted to make one note, and that was, I feel like it's continuing the thread of when Zuko teams up with Aang, things actually work in his favor. (laughs) And when he, like, tries to... When he, like, threatens Aang's life and everything, that's when things start to go sour. And it's just so funny to me that the universe is, like, sending out all these signals to Zuko. Like, (laughs) dude, if you join the right side, like, things are going to go well for you. So much better for you. And he's just like, nah, man. (laughs) He's a very broken boy. (laughs) He's making very bad decisions. His uncle is despairing oh Zuko <laughs> poor Iroh he's trying <laughs> he's trying very hard <laughs> okay uh, so then let's do our should we do our MVP and our most memorable moment Steph do you have anyone in mind do you want to go first or do you want one of us to go first I, I, I can't I can't split it between Aang and Zuko <laughs> Because it's such a, it's, the episode focuses so specifically on the two of them and their partnership slash not partnership slash, like, (laughs) animosity. And it, like, the whole episode functions around the two of them making the decisions that they do. So for me, like, I can't, I can't decide between the two of them. So I'm just going to give it to Momo and... (laughs) (laughs) Plot twist. I love a twist. I was going to give my anti MVP to Momo. He tried. He tried really hard. I feel like he was given a task. He did not understand the task. Nobody was able to explain the task to him in a way that made sense. And yet he tried so hard to get them what they needed. There's a real language barrier there, and it's just gonna. Yeah, and I, I just feel like he deserves it for for effort. Okay, all right. I guess I won't give my anti MVP to Momo. Wow, that was a shocking twist. Rach, do you want to go next? Well, last episode we allowed the possibility of two MVPs, so I was going to say the same thing as Steph, that I can't decide between Aang and Zuko, so I'll have to give it to both of them this episode. I think they work so well together, and Aang saves Zuko at one point, and Zuko saves Aang at one point, and without each other they wouldn't have been able to get out of that fortress. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I guess as well, because, like, I mean, obviously the episode is set up that Aang is completely isolated. Like, even if Katara and and Sokka get better just with time, it, the time wasted and them not knowing where he could possibly be, that there's, n- there's nothing that they can do. The only thing they could do would be hope that Appa could track him somehow. Like, that's, that's literally it. Or, like, just be like, Momo, find Aang. <laughs> and Momo would try... Momo would try right. so hard. <laughs> that would not go well. But like, yeah, so like it's it's set up that essentially like they are each other's only hope at various points in the in the episode, which is really interesting. So I actually, when I had been thinking about my MVP, I had been thinking it was going to be Aang, just on his own. But you guys have both convinced me that he really couldn't have done it without Zuko. So I am going to agree with you both that... uh Aang and Zuko can can share MVP for this episode. Yay, Zuko's finally sliding into the MVP spot. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's the first time I think we've had Zuko as an MVP. Yeah. There you go, Zuko. You know, keep it up. Um, I don't think you will, but you know. <laughs> What's that award they give him? It's like not as bad of a person as you could have been. Or <laughs> and I, I do think like this kind of like what I was saying earlier about like his motivations like this this episode is such a good a good one for highlighting like the fact that his motivation has absolutely nothing to do with the Fire Nation in general because if Zuko was in any way motivated by Fire Nation pride or whatever he would probably just let it happen because like it's in the interest of the Fire Nation and his father that the Avatar be captured by someone so it just really kind of brings to the forefront that his motivation is not capturing the Avatar for the Fire Nation and for, you know, his country and for imperialist reasons, it's it's that he wants to go home. <laughs> and he can't do that if somebody else captures him. And it doesn't make anything that he does right, per se, but it does kind of, like, it just really, like, centralises the difference between, like, why Zhao is doing what he's doing and why Zuko is doing what he's doing, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, so should we finish up with our most memorable moment? Okay. My most memorable moment, I think, has to be the the scene between Aang and Zuko at the end. That was my answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I think we don't need to talk about it too much because we already have, but it's just so sweet to see this possibility of these two boys, uh, who are boys, you know, they have been placed in the middle of this war. There's only, what, like, four years between them? Is it four years? Is Zuko 16 at this point? Yeah. Mine, mine is mine is similar. Um, well, I mean, I have I have the two. The, the bucket, the bucket <laughs> thing is just... It makes me laugh every time. It's just so... It's so ingenious. <laughs> but it's, like, so stupidly ingenious, do you know what I mean? It's, like, worthy of soccer. It's, like... <laughs> yes. I'll just throw a bucket of water at it and hope for the best. But also, like, the very kind of, like, last, the sort of last parallel scene between Zuko and Aang where they do the, the turn away and the kind of mirroring in that. And, the uh, like, it, it, I, it, it sounds horrible to say, but, like, it's nice to see Aang doubt himself because he's such a positive energy and he has such a positive personality that I think so many... It's so easy over the course of the series to get punched in the gut remembering that actually he does doubt himself a lot um, because he has this like really like happy go lucky energy 
that you kind of forget that he's a 12-year-old boy with the weight of the world on his shoulders and that is actually affecting him. And this is one of the first times you really see it in a way that really manifests in him being quite... He seems very depressed at the end of the episode to then mirror that with the fact that the thing that he's doubting himself on is actually having some kind of an impact. Um, whether that's, you know, an impact that will last or not, it's 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 something. And I think that's really, I think that's really nice. My, my serious memorable moment as opposed to lol. We alternate, we do funny ones sometimes, sometimes we do serious ones. Gotta have a bit of both. Yeah, why not? It's balance. We've got to balance things. Yes. We, we know this is important. Bring balance. Are we ready to wrap this up? I did just want to say thank you so much, Steph, for joining us. Hey, you're welcome. I had fun. Oh, I'm glad you had fun. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed a lot of your insights. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I love doing. I just love talking about TV shows that I love, man. It's really fun. We've been having fun uh, doing this. So I guess I will let you guys know or remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at Ember Sayers. Yeah, we also have an email, emberislandsayers at gmail.com, where you can send us any questions, comments, or suggestions. We are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, then uh, it would be really great if you could rate and review us. That helps other people find our show, and we would really appreciate five stars. That would be awesome. Uh, so, Rach, uh, where are we going next week? We are going to a little Earth Kingdom town where there is a fortune teller, and that is the name of the episode, The Fortune Teller. This is actually my favorite episode of season one, and I'm not saying it's the best episode of season one, <laughs> but it is my favorite, so... <laughs> I have I have a feeling like I know why it's your favorite. <laughs> it's it's a really funny one. So it's it is funny. It's nice to like go back and forth between these very serious episodes and find some humor. Yeah, yeah, we've had two kind of pretty serious ones, so it'll be fun to to have some something a little lighter. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you everybody for listening and stay flaming. Stay flaming. Stay flaming. Stay flamin'.